your business, or your campaign. If you'd like to learn more, contact Mike Krumbrin at PressPrint 714-399-8708. Get the union bug. The Tri-City Shopping Center in Redlands is serving up some really cool ice cream at La Micho Acana. Then get your chocolates and other delights from Seas Candies. Moms and future moms who visit the mall can cool off and relax while they get treated like royalty at Shiny Nails or Francis Nails and then pampered at Texture Hair. The Tri-City Center is filled with retailers who care about you. Shop at the Tri-City Center in Redlands and see why they call it the Mall with a Heart. KCAA Loma Linda, 1050 AM, 106.5 FM, and now 102.3 FM. NBC News Radio, I'm Brian Shook. Republicans in Congress are pushing for a nationwide ban on abortions. Jody Arrington of Texas says he's working on a bill that's modeled after legislation in his state which doesn't have exceptions for rape or incest. Meantime, President Biden is promoting a new executive order aimed at preserving abortion rights. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre said the president doesn't like Roe v. Wade being reversed. It was driven by a political and extreme raw political uh, power, a decision that was made. He disagrees with that decision. He thinks it's extreme. Flags at the White House are flying at half-staff in order of the late Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe. It comes after he was assassinated. President Biden issued a proclamation saying flags at other locations, including all military posts, shall remain at half-staff until sunset on Sunday. The leader of the far-right Oath Keepers group says he'll testify before the House January 6th committee. If he can appear in person, Stuart Rhodes is currently in jail while awaiting trial. He said he wants the panel to work with the U.S. Marshals Service to allow him to testify at the Capitol building with his legal counsel. California Governor Gavin Newsom is announcing that California will start making its own insulin. Julie Ryan explains. According to a 2019 study published in the medical journal JAMA Internal Medicine, one out of four people with diabetes skip their doses of insulin because of the high cost. Newsom says he wants to make the life-saving drug financially available for everyone, so he's designating $100 million in state funding to have California make its own low-cost insulin. Newsom added the funding will also provide new high-paying jobs and a stronger supply chain for the drug. I'm Julie Ryan. Four Border Patrol agents accused of whipping migrants are being cleared. You're listening to the latest from NBC News Radio. KCAA Radio has openings for one-hour talk shows. If you want to host a radio show, now is the time. Make KCAA your flagship station. Our rates are affordable and our services are second to none. We broadcast on three terrestrial frequencies to a population of 5 million people. Plus, we stream and podcast on all major online audio and video systems. If you've been thinking about broadcasting a weekly radio program on real radio plus the Internet, contact our CEO at 281 You can Skype your show from your home to our Redlands, California studio where our live producers and engineers are ready to work with you personally. A radio program on KCAA is the perfect work from home avocation in these stressful times. Just type KCAARadio.com into your browser to learn more about hosting a show on the best station in the nation or call our CEO for details. 281-599-9800. K-C-A-A.
Welcome to the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show, created and hosted by Scott Knudsen, to explore the crossroads of horses and business. Now here's your host, Scott Knudsen. Hi, and welcome to the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show. I'm your host, Scott Knudsen. Thank you so much for joining us today. Whether you're listening to us on the radio, on KCAA, our NBC affiliate out in California, or watching our podcast on one of our platforms, we really appreciate you uh, so much. Today we have a great show. We have Greg Dial on the show. And Greg is an experienced horseman. He's a teacher, a clinician. He has such great gentle training methods. I know you're going to love that. He's a published writer, playwright. And we probably will talk a little acting as well. So, Greg, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me today, Scott. I enjoy it. Oh, man, we're going to have a great time. I was looking forward to this ever since uh, Dr. Michael Johnson told me about you a long time, <laughs> a few months ago. And, and uh, he was on the show and we had so much fun talking about you. So I guess it's your turn to talk about him. <laughs> well, I have, a lot, I have a lot I could say about Michael, but Michael and I have been, I, I consider Michael one of my best friends. And we've known each other for a pretty good while. We met as a result of his having published Healing Shine. And I contacted him uh, about the book. I got the book because the book was slugged as a subtitle of a spiritual assignment. And that was something that appealed to me because I always have found working with horses and working with people with their horses to be kind of a spiritual thing on its own. And so this book that he wrote caught me and it really caught my I don't know, it tugged at my heart. And so I contacted him and we corresponded via email and became very good friends over email and then finally met. And over the years, we have developed that friendship into a lot more than that to the point where he really is a part of my competitive trail groups family. We all are very appreciative of him. He comes and he talks with us on uh, some of our rides and some of our meetings. And uh, that's where, not to jump, the gun on uh, the play that we're doing, but that's where that all came from. Wonderful. Wonderful. He's such a great man. I had such, such fun uh, getting to know him better on the show. And I know the audience feedback was so wonderful. And we'll talk about that play y'all are working on and, and have done uh, mm -hmm. here in a little bit. But so how did you get involved with horses? Was it something when you were a kid, you said, I want to ride horses? Or you uh, that way? Well, it was a girl. <laughs> <laughs> Always is, always is. As the tender, <laughs> at the tender age of six years old, a girl that I went to elementary oh. school with, I didn't grow up with horses. My father was an engineer. But a girl that I went to elementary school with uh, and fell in love with had horses. And uh, so I went out and got to know the horses and got to know her a little bit. And I've since forgotten her name. So obviously it wasn't that much of an impression, but I never forgot the horses. Well, so that was, that was, <laughs> that was really the introduction to it right there. I love it. I love it. You know, does crazy things, you know, for sure. And had you climbing up on a horse. So, um, <laughs> so do you remember your first horse? Do you remember your first ride or what was that? Oh, like? Yeah, you see, it's uh, I rode one of her horses, which in retrospect, they were just ponies. But uh, I rode some of her horses and I began to bug my father about wanting to have a horse. Well, we lived in San Antonio. And so having a horse in San Antonio was out of the question. But I bugged my father so much that my father, with the steel trap engineer's mind that he had, decided, well, I've got a way of worming him of that desire. So he sent me out to an older German man who lived in Comal County to work on his farm and his ranch. 
And so I worked out there handling eggs, among other things, and cleaning stalls, among other things, for the opportunity to ride a horse every now and then. And uh, got to do it and just, it never worked the way my father intended because it never cured me of that addiction. It just fed your fire, man. It just made you want to do more. It did. It did. It did. Yeah. And so, so what did you say? You canned eggs or what did you do with eggs? Can, candling eggs where you hold the eggs up to see if the eggs are fertilized. You hold them up to a candle and, and try to see through the shell whether or not the eggs are fertilized. Right. And I'd had to do that in a right. darkened silo with literally a candle because everything we did on this place was very old school. So we did it with a candle and looked through there. And I, I can't tell you how I, I almost can't eat eggs at this point in my life because of that experience. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I did, I did, I did get the right. I know this is, <laughs> well, I mean, if you ended up riding, it was worth it, but yes, you good it at was. candling eggs. Cause you know, my wife and I around here, we tried it a couple of times and my wife is great at it. Mm -hmm. I was not, you know, but. It, well, a talent to it, it. if I was any good at it, I was never told, but I was also never told if I wasn't any good at it, so it worked out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> uh, so so that fed your fire into horses. So mm -hmm. what, what led you to your level? So did you just start riding the man's horses and say, I want to go a different direction? Well, we started, we used the horses there. Everything that was on that place, you used. This gentleman was not from hill country German. This gentleman was from old country German. And so everything that we had there had wow. a purpose. It was, it was all very practical. And so we used the horses to gather sheep and goats, uh, cattle. Um, I learned a little bit about how to rope. Um, that involvement with horses ultimately took me much later on into training in a show barn and working in a show barn. And that was a whole other experience in and of itself. But learning to work with a horse that you knew was going to take care of you, learning to work with a horse that you knew was going to put you right behind that you that you were going to rope, learn, being on a horse that knew more than you did was one of those formative things that you forget about later on that the next horse you get on is not the horse that you just got off of. You need to learn this new horse, this other horse, rather than just assuming that that new horse is going to be just like the old one. And so that was something formative for me Absolutely. at the time that it, it taught me that the horses were all individuals and that you needed to treat them as individuals. Absolutely. Everyone's different. Yeah. Everyone's different. Very much. Uh, for sure. For sure. So, so, so what, what transformed you into the gentle methods of training? So when you grew up, you had the horses on the ranch, but well, we started transitioning. Working in a show barn, we did things in a way that I would not say was cruel or mean or harsh, but was definitely very mechanical. And somewhere along the way, mm -hmm. I was given a horse by someone who didn't really know what to do with it. And this horse and I had a very special connection. And so I decided that I wanted something different. I wanted something that was not mechanical. I wanted something that was much more connected. And I didn't really have anywhere to go at that time because that was 35 years ago and there just wasn't a whole lot out there available that I knew of. Um, a guy came out to that show barn to take some photographs and he told me about at that time, John Lyons had just written a book 
And so I read the John Lyons book and was just entranced with all of his behavioral conditioning, all of his information about behavioral conditioning. And I thought, well, this is a direction that I want to go, but found that ultimately that wasn't quite as far as I wanted to go either. And so I just began working with that horse and began working with other horses and trying to figure out how to develop more of a connection um, that had to do with that, what I said earlier about Michael, about that spiritual aspect of working with horses. And that connection that you can gain with a horse if you really work at it. And if you really have that connection with that horse, that horse will literally almost do anything for you. It's a, it's a special spot. Whenever you hit that sweet spot, there's nothing You're like right. it. You're right. And I ultimately went on and showed reining horses and, and trained reining horses and showed all kinds of... I, <laughs> Al Dunning once said that I was probably the last of the all-around trainers because at the time, whatever walked in the door, you took it. And whether it was English or whether it was dressage or whether it was Western pleasure or whether it was working cow horse or whether it was raining, you took it. And I did. I learned an awful lot about it. I learned an awful lot about a lot of different disciplines, uh, kind of picked out the ones that I liked. And raining really was a love for me for a long time. Uh, Craig Johnson was a hero of mine back in the 1980s when Craig was actually doing really a lot of showing and, and raining. And so that wow. really got me headed down a road toward greater precision and toward greater, as Michael calls it, and I don't mean to keep referring to Michael, but as Michael calls it, trying to elicit a higher degree of cooperation from the horse, the dog, or the human. And along about, Love it. along Love it. about, I think, probably, I would say about 10 years ago, I really began to realize that there was a purpose for me on this earth. And that purpose was to ultimately help people help their horses become better horses. And so that's really the direction that I began to pursue going into working with clinics and doing private lessons and doing, um, helping people show and helping people with, uh, with trying to establish that connection and trying to better that connection in order to get better cooperation from the horse. Yeah, I love that. What a compliment too. You'll just ride any, just work with any horse in the barn, anything that comes in. You know, I think that's such a lost art to be able just to jump on any horse and work with that horse. Well, even today, I don't go, uh, there's not a day that goes by that I am not on an unfamiliar horse, a horse that's unfamiliar to me. Because giving lessons and doing clinics and working with other people's horses, inevitably you have to get on the horse to find out what the horse knows. Because most of the time they've come to you, the people have come to you because they don't know what the horse knows or they don't know how to get to what the horse knows. And so I'll wind up getting on a horse or here lately, a mule, which has become something different for me. But I'll get on a horse or I'll get on a mule and I will explore. And I'll explore in my way and I'll explore and figure out what this horse knows. A lot of people will say, well, you're just figuring out where the horse's buttons are. And that's not really the case. What I'm trying to figure out is where is this horse's leadership established? Am I establishing it through his feet, which is primarily where you try to get to a horse's mind is through his feet. Do I establish it through his feet? You know, what, what kind of, what kind of work, what kind of application do I have to use with this horse? Because working with a horse or training a horse is really about establishing a common language that you both speak, both you and the horse. And so finding that language and coming to that, that 
central point where you both understand what's going on is really what I do with these people and with their horses. And then I can go after I've ridden that horse, I can get off that horse and I can say, okay, here's where your problem comes from, or here's where you are missing the mark in trying to get this horse to understand what you want. I love that. I love how you let the horse tell you. That's that. And and then you, yeah, that's the, that's the thing about most of what I do. And that's what I think makes a little bit of what I do different. I don't do canned horsemanship clinics. I don't do canned lessons. I don't do a specific outline. I find out what it is that people need and what the horse needs. And one of the things that's pivotal to what I do is understanding that the horse, if you listen, will tell you everything that you need to know. Yeah. And that's one of the things about communication Absolutely. is we always think about communication as being, well, I'm going to tell this. If I tell this horse what to do, he'll do it if I tell him the right way. But in order to know how to tell the horse what it is that you want, you have to listen to the horse first. And we're not usually very good at that. And if I can get people to listen to the horse, Absolutely. then I can get them to improve their horsemanship. I love that. So what started the, the, the flip? Maybe it wasn't a flip, but what started you in the, in the mode of just training, just can training to this? Was it one particular horse, one one situation? That's a good question, Scott. I don't know that I'd, I'd have to take the time to look back over my career and kind of figure that out. I, that horse that I told you about that was given to me ultimately stayed with me for 30 years. And so I had a lot of time with him and he taught wow. me a, a lot. But what he taught me right at the very beginning, this is going to sound kind of airy-fairy or kind of weird, but what he taught me right at the beginning was that what was essential to have was the love for the horse. And the love for the horse that I'm talking about is not all right. puppy dogs and pink ribbons or feed them cookies and pat them on the neck. What I'm talking about is an understanding of the basic nature of the horse, not just as a prey animal, which we all understand now, but also understanding what that means in terms of their communication and in terms of their worldview. So every horse is going to come to you and they're going to ask you one question. And it's the same question, no matter the horse. Some horses ask it all the time. Some horses seem to very rarely ask it. And that question is very simple. Am I safe? Now, if you don't have the answer for that because you didn't hear it or because you weren't listening or because you were too busy, or because you have your own agenda and you didn't hear it, that horse is going to say, you know what? I'm taking care of me. You take care of yourself. And you just lost that trust in the horse. That's how you establish leadership is convincing that horse because horses are all or nothing. Convincing that horse that no matter what you do, you're not going to get them killed. I love that. It's three simple (laughs) words and and you just broke it all down that quickly. Man, I love that so much. And when we come back, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to expand on that, those three simple words, and learn some more training tips and get some more advice from uh, Greg Dahl. Uh, we'll be right back after these messages. Scott will be right back with more. Hi, I'm Scott Knudsen, host of the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show. Heard on KCAA Fridays, 3 p.m. Pacific. I'd like to talk to you about something I'm very passionate about. Those that know me know I love my coffee. In the morning, afternoon, and even late in the evening, I enjoy a good cup of coffee almost any time of the day. Now, my team at the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show has been working for several months on creating and introducing our own brand of coffee. We wanted to make sure that we got it just right. We don't want to put our name on anything unless we're 100% certain that it's the best product available, and we've finally done it. 
We have created a wonderful line of coffees, 13 fantastic flavors offered in whole bean, ground, and K-cups, any way you like to brew your coffee. Now, each of our coffees carries our brand, the very same brand that we put on our horses, our trailers, and our chaps. So you know that this is a quality product. And we only use 100% Arabica beans, the very best beans available. Just listen to some of these wonderful blends and flavors. Jamaican Me Crazy, Honduran San Marcos, Chocolate Cherry Amaretto, Breakfast Blend, and my very favorite, Haley's Blend. A coffee so good, we named it after my daughter. You can order these coffees today by going online to javacowboy.com. That's javacowboy.com. And if you order today, you can get an extra 10% off your final purchase just by entering the promo code COWBOY on checkout. Remember, that's promo code COWBOY for an extra 10% off. Just go to javacowboy.com to order your coffee today. Hello, I'm Scott Knutson, host of the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show. I want to tell you about a product I've tried and I love, and I feel the Cowboy Entrepreneur audience will as well. It's Rebellious Infusions. Rebellious Infusions, there are little packets of flavor. And you know, it gets hot in South Texas, over 100 degrees every day. And I like my water, but it's water. So I use these infusions, put them in my water. It makes it cold. It's great flavor, zero sugar, zero calories. It's pure energy infusions, rebellious infusions. Go to drinkrebellious.com or on all social media platforms. Drink Rebellious. Hello, and welcome back to the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show. Here with our special guest, Greg Dial. And he just said three simple words that every horse trainer or anyone riding a horse needs to understand. Am I safe? And I love that, how you just broke it down. Can you give an example of, of a situation where maybe that might be great to listen to? Sure. Um, just yesterday, I had a gentleman come to me with a horse. And this gentleman has been showing this horse in stock horse competition. And he came to me and he said, I'm having trouble with gates. This horse does not want to approach a gate, does not want to work a gate. And so I worked with him a little bit and I said, well, let's see. I said, I, I have a gate set up over here in the arena. I said, I want you to walk up to that gate. Don't think about working the gate, but walk up to that gate and ask that horse to approach the hinge end of the gate and put his nose in the corner. So he was really in a 90 degree corner between the gate and the fence. And that horse got within about eight feet of that corner and stopped and sucked back and said, no, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go. And we worked through it a little bit. And I told him, I said, what you need to do is take this down to its smaller pieces because you're trying to do too much. You bit off too much. You can't think about working a gate until you begin to address what is basically this horse's fundamental claustrophobia. And horses are basically claustrophobic. And when I say claustrophobic, I don't mean just about being in a tight space. I mean, having their ability to flee, which is their primary defense, taken away from them. So if you put them in a corner like that, where you've taken away two degrees of escape, they can't go where the fence is and they can't go where the gate is. Well, all of a sudden that horse begins to get a little bit anxious about that. And trying to approach the gate and work the gate without working through that basic claustrophobia is going to be a big mistake because you're going to be trying to force the horse to do something when he's already up in his head thinking, you know what, I need to get out of here. And he's not going to be listening right. to what you're asking for with the gate. Makes sense. I love how it's just so you break it down to find the most simplest part and try and fix that first. Well, that is the thing about this is the training to me, and I really, 
I've, I've quit calling it training because really it comes down to teaching. I don't want, if I had kids, I wouldn't Love want that. my kids going to school to be trained. I'd want them to be taught. Well, it's the same way Love with that. teaching to me Absolutely. is an interactive thing rather than a lecture or rather than a rote drill training. To me, it's an interactive thing. The horse is talking to me and I'm talking to the horse and we have this conversation and it is a very much a constant conversation. But you have to have that conversation just like when you're teaching a language to a child, you have to break it down into small bites. And so what you have to do with the horse is look at all these small bites, begin to put those together before you try to put together the whole thing. Teaching a rollback, for example, and I know you know what a rollback is and I hope most of your listeners do. Yeah. But teaching a rollback, well, what's a rollback? Well, it's three pieces. It's a stop, a turnaround, and a departure. So if you take it apart and then begin to take apart the stop and work on the stop and then work on the turnaround and then work on the departure, and within those, you'll even find smaller pieces that you need to work on. Then once you've got all of those, then you can begin to put it together into that more complex maneuver. I love that. And, you know, it's not just go out there and just do a rollback right. or open a gate. You right. have to break it down, like you say, and it's a process. Right. Uh, for sure. There's no quick, quick teaching methods. No, there's there's not. And in fact, it's funny that you say that, because one of the things that I say, I occasionally will work with high school kids who come and they want to know, OK, well, what do I need to do to become a horse trainer? And my simple answer to them is the first thing you need to do is learn to wait. Because you're going to spend a lot of time I waiting. Love that. I, love that. <laughs> I love that. That's absolutely the truth. I try to present things to the horse so what is and let the horse figure it out. I love that. So what is what is a high school kid that maybe sees everything so fast when you just say you have to wait and listen? Do they comprehend <laughs> that? Do they understand that? Or They think they do. <laughs> I, it's, it, you know, it's... It, it's tough for adults too. It is. It's tough for adults and it's tough. It's tough for kids. Um, in some ways it's tougher for adults because adults really do think that they're waiting, but what they're really doing <laughs> is trying to figure out, well, how do I get to the next step without really having to wait? And it's interesting to me that Absolutely. these kids will come in and they'll say, well, well, what do you mean? I say, well, look, I'm presenting the horse with a scenario or with a problem, and I want the horse to try to figure it out in order to try to learn from that process of figuring it out. And so they think that the horse has got it figured out well before the horse actually has even started processing it. And adults are very much the same way, except that with adults, there's a certain amount of anthropocentric notion to the human that, well, I'm more important than the horse is. So when I think the horse has waited long enough, well, then the horse has waited long enough. But that's not the case. If you listen to the horse, the horse will tell you when they've processed it. The horse will tell you when they're ready to take that next step. But if you if you push it, I think that what happens is that the horse gets confused. And I think if you push it, then the horse never has mm -hmm. the opportunity to cement the lesson that they just learned, they move on to something else too fast. I love that. Uh, you know, and, and people are so busy, just uh, we're picking on the kids, but adults too. And it's hard to right. understand. You just have to wait and you can yeah. never stop in the middle of a problem. No, you there's know, a, you there, see it through. There's a, there's a, a saying that you turn it on its head and it makes more sense when you're working with horses. And the saying is don't just stand there, do something. Well, if you turn it on its head with horses, it's don't just do something, stand there. Because the more you stand there, the more time you're giving the horse. 
And it's interesting to me, okay. one of the one of the things that I, this is a kind of a fascinating subject to me, because if you look at the guys that we think of as the great horse whisperers, for want of a better word, but the Tom Dorrance's and the Ray Hunt's, those guys knew how long to wait. And they knew how long to wait without the knowledge that we now have today that is backing up why you have to wait, because there are physiological reasons in the brain chemistry of the horse that dictate how long you need to wait. And that's what's interesting to me is people like Steve Peters and, and the trainers that work with him, like Martin Black and Mark Rashid, they are now learning, okay, well, there's a sound physiological basis to why we present this, why we wait, why we wait for that horse to process, lick, chew, relax, show us that he's ready to move on to the next thing. Well, those guys, the Dorrances and the and the Hunt and Ray Hunt, they didn't know that at that time. They just did it based on their own instincts, and their instincts were good. But now they're being backed up by the science. I love that. I love everything that they did. They started is being proven fact mm -hmm. now. Right. It's taken this many years for the rest of the humans to catch, to catch up. up. Right. Yeah. Right. Know? Right. For sure. Because <laughs> the horses was already there. They were just waiting on us to understand a little bit. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> oh, man. So how do people get to go to your clinics or how do they find you? What's the best way for them to Well, I'm very active. Your, I'm very I'm very active in a group that is a competitive trail group and in fact I'm the judge's director for that competitive trail group. And those people awesome. seem to want to come to my clinics. Now my clinics generally are will do horsemanship clinics and I will do problem solving clinics and we will do anything from what we call mini clinics, which are really two and a half hours, mini clinics all the way up to a three or four day clinic, a full length clinic somewhere else. But the way that they found out originally was those people who were members of that group found out at our club clinics that I could help them with some of the issues that they were having or some of the maneuvers that they were having. And so a lot of those types of clinics are what I would call focused obstacle-based clinics because I think that when you're doing something with the horse, I think it has to have a focus. Otherwise, it's just kind of like there's no point to it. And I do think that horses know when there's no point right. to something that you're doing. So they will find me on Facebook. Uh, there's a Greg Dial Horsemanship Clinic page on Facebook. There's also a Gentle Rain page on Facebook because the name of my business is The Gentle Rain, R-E-I-N. And it has been for the last 20 years. Um, so they can find they can find me there. We have a website that's under construction, and, and the information will be up there as well. The clinics right now are pretty much limited to Texas, Oklahoma, and New Mexico. Uh, we've done clinics in, in those venues. And the clinics, I don't do canned clinics, as I said earlier. I don't have a horsemanship one, two, and three. But what I do have is we'll send out a, uh, a polling questionnaire to ask people, what is it that you want to work on? What areas do you want to concentrate on? What areas do you want to spend your time with? And we will put together a custom program for them and a custom clinic for them that will address those issues. One of the things too that's different about my clinics is that I like to spend the time with the people. I don't want them to come and be in the arena for eight hours and then go home. I want them to come. I want them to sit down and break bread at lunch with me and with my assistants. I want us to have a meal in the evening so we can discuss what went on that day because I think that that really helps 
cement a lot of this stuff in people's minds, what we did, if we sit down and we talk about it afterwards, rather than just, okay, well, here are your exercises. Now go home and sleep on it and come back tomorrow. I love that. I love how you get to know mm-hmm. the people, yeah, too. you know, and, and they get to spend time with you too. And not like you do the horse, you just right. listen. There's an interesting um, part of my background. <laughs> I taught tennis for a very brief period. I taught tennis because I wasn't very good at it. But I was able to teach it for a short while, and I <laughs> I went and I studied uh, some teaching methodology with a guy out in California. And one of the things that he said was, and this I know other teachers know this, but I did not know it at the time, was that it is up to the teacher to adapt the teaching style to the student's needs. And so you have people who are visual learners. You have people who are verbal learners, people who are oral learners. You have people who are experiential learners, and they have to learn by doing it. And so it's up to me to figure out, okay, when when you're working in a clinic setting, this person learns verbally, this person learns experientially. So this person over here has to actually go out and do it. This person has to have it explained to them in such a way that they understand it. And so that is one of the things about clinics is that you really need to know your people and you really need to understand pretty quickly how it is that they learn so that they will learn so that you can tailor your approach to their needs. I love that. So you're teaching the horse as well as the right. student the, at the same the, time. The gentle rain has or used to have as a part of its logo the saying, teaching the horse and training the rider because very often working with the horse is a lot easier than working with the human, as I'm sure you well know. But working with the horse is a whole lot easier. And and I'm I'm much, I used to be much better able at teaching the horse, but I've gotten, I think, fairly good at teaching teaching the human. And it's not so much teaching them things that involve muscle memory or rote, because I have a saying that if you drill it, you're gonna kill it. So we don't do drills. But what we do is we do an exercise or a maneuver or some kind of um, exploratory behavior with the horse, and then we'll go do something else. But then we can always come back to it. We just don't keep repeating it, repeating it, repeating it. So people will come and the, the various learning styles come into that because some people just need to do it and then go do something else and cogitate on it and then come back and do it again. Some people do it once and they've got it. Um, but teaching the horse is a lot more, it's more of a process for me, getting riders to change the way that they think. And that's really what it is that I'm trying to do is get them to, to think about the horse in a different way than they're used to, because we are still, even with gentler horsemanship techniques, we are still very much in that dominance mode with the horse where we are the human and you will do what we tell you to do. Um, rather than figuring out how to, as a good leader does, how to get people to want to do what you want them to do, how to get the horse to want to do what you want him to do, rather than just saying, you better do it or else. Yeah, right, right. And, and that's a tough deal. But once they experience it one time with one horse, they understand. It's it, You can just see you the can. face. They you can. And there are, there are, and that is one of the things that I'm very proud of. I had one of my clinic attendees put a post up on Facebook several years ago. And she said, if you haven't been to one of Greg's clinics, come to one of Greg's clinics because you'll have fun. You'll learn something, but most important, you'll leave with your soul intact because you will have established a connection with the horse, which is what we're all after 
anyway. You will have established that connection with the horse. And the, the fun thing for me with people with doing clinics is watching those aha moments where suddenly something becomes very clear yeah. and that changes people that changes people in such a profound way. And it changes them over time when they're able to do that. I love that. What a high really. compliment and to put it on social media. So everyone right. in the world can see that that's, right. that's wonderful. Right. It made did. a difference, made a difference. We'll, we'll be right back with Greg Gall after these messages. Thank you for listening to the cowboy entrepreneur show. Scott will be right back with more. For more information on Scott Knudsen, the Cowboy Entrepreneur, visit us online at CowboyEntrepreneur.com. Hi, I'm Scott Knudsen, host of the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show. Heard on KCAA, Fridays, 3 p.m. Pacific. I'd like to talk to you about something I'm very passionate about. Those that know me know I love my coffee. In the morning, afternoon, and even late in the evening, I enjoy a good cup of coffee almost any time of the day. Now, my team at the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show has been working for several months on creating and introducing our own brand of coffee. We wanted to make sure that we got it just right. We don't want to put our name on anything unless we're 100% certain that it's the best product available, and we've finally done it. We have created a wonderful line of coffees, 13 fantastic flavors offered in whole bean, ground, and K-cups, any way you like to brew your coffee. Now, each of our coffees carries our brand, the very same brand that we put on our horses, our trailers, and our chaps. So you know that this is a quality product. And we only use 100% Arabica beans, the very best beans available. Just listen to some of these wonderful blends and flavors. Jamaican Me Crazy, Honduran San Marcos, Chocolate Cherry Amaretto, Breakfast Blend, and my very favorite, Haley's Blend. A coffee so good, we named it after my daughter. You can order these coffees today by going online to javacowboy.com. That's javacowboy.com. And if you order today, you can get an extra 10% off your final purchase just by entering the promo code COWBOY on checkout. Remember, that's promo code COWBOY for an extra 10% off. Just go to javacowboy.com to order your coffee today. Hello, I'm Scott Knutson, host of the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show. I want to tell you about a product I've tried and I love and I feel the Cowboy Entrepreneur audience will as well. It's Rebellious Infusions. Rebellious Infusions, there are little packets of flavor. And you know, it gets hot in South Texas, over 100 degrees every day. And I like my water, but it's water. So I use these infusions, put them in my water. It makes it cold. It's great flavor, zero sugar, zero calories. It's pure energy infusions, rebellious infusions. Go to drinkrebellious.com or on all social media platforms. Drink Rebellious. Hi, and welcome back to the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show with Greg Dow. Greg, so we were just talking some strategies and people posting great things after they attend your clinics. And can you give somebody a tip, maybe if they're not a horse trainer, even on a horse, but they're watching the show because of the business side, the entrepreneurship side. Can you give a little advice on, on being an entrepreneur? Uh, I, I don't know if I'm good at giving advice on being an entrepreneur. I don't, you know, you, 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 you say the word. for myself. <laughs> You say the word entrepreneur, you know, and, and it conjures up the idea of somebody getting out and working really hard and making lots of money. And, you know, that, that may be one metric of it. But to me, when I think of entrepreneurship, I really think about success. Well, what's your definition of success? And again, the common metric is always going to be the money. And 
you're familiar with the saying, and I'm sure all of your other people are too, you're familiar with the saying, well, do what you love and the money will follow. And I think that that's probably true to an extent. The money will follow, but I think that what's more true is if you do what you love, the money won't matter. And it's not that the money part of it doesn't matter and that you won't make money, but what it is is that you will derive so much satisfaction from doing what you love to do that the money part of it is incidental. That comes along because you love what you do, not as a result necessarily of what you do, but because of, of your love for what you do. I was, um, back in 2016, I was given a gift. And that gift was almost dying twice. And that gave me a great appreciation for the time that you have left, which we all think when we're young that, well, the time is infinite, but it's not. And so having that experience gave to me an appreciation for what was truly important in life. And I will also say that up until that point, my feeling about what is my purpose here, what did the good Lord put me on this earth for, was a little bit scattered and a little bit... Um, I think probably diffused. Well, that sharpened it up for me that you only just have so much time left. So you better use it wisely. You better use it productively and figuring out what your purpose is, why you were put here on this earth. Well, my purpose I figured out was to help people help their horses and to do it in a kinder way, a gentler way, a way that elicited higher cooperation from the horse and did it in a way that allowed people to feel good about what they were doing. So that was my purpose. Well, that purpose drives me and anything that is not keyed into that purpose has suddenly lost importance for me. And so all of the things that I used to do as pastimes or as hobbies or spending a lot of time or money doing, those things have all kind of fallen by the wayside. And it's not that I don't enjoy them. It's just that that's not what's important in my life anymore. And so I spend my time and I spend my effort and I spend my energy on that purpose and on following that purpose and on trying to make that purpose real for as many people as I can. So when you ask me, what is, what is entrepreneurship? To me, entrepreneurship is success, but for me, success is doing what I love. Man, that's so great, man. That's so beautiful. And it's hard for people to get to that point, but once they're at that point, everything changes. It does. Kind of like and, and, and everything changes. And I think that everything also becomes much clearer because Absolutely. that that one of the corners, well, two of the cornerstones for me of working with horses are consistency and clarity. And it's the same way for me in my life, trying to be consistent and trying to be clear in my life with where I'm bending all of my effort and where I'm putting that energy. And I think that if you love training dogs, if you love painting, if you love carpentry, if you love whatever it may be, those decisions for what you should do will be made for you if you commit yourself to that purpose. And if you don't that. commit yourself to that purpose, you're going to flounder around like I did for a long time. <laughs> oh, man, I'll tell you. So we were talking before the show. We're both in Texas, so it's over mm -hmm. 100 degrees every day. And, it is. and we were just talking about training and, and uh, you were you, you were telling a story where your whole born you you would work the horses so much earlier in the day just to help the horse. So your whole business kind of flipped the time. Right. Would you mind just telling that story? And then I know everybody's going to want to hear about some acting stories. <laughs> and there are plenty of those. <laughs> uh, you know, you you 
working where we work and you do the same thing, um, mm -hmm. working your horses, there's a point at which, and I forget what it is because I don't even pay attention to that anymore. I don't even try to get close to that where you take the humidity and you add it to the temperature. And if that adds up above a certain point, you shouldn't be working your horse. Well, if it's too hot for me out in the sun for more than a half an hour, I'm not going to ask that horse to work out there in that for more than a half an hour. And I'm pretty hardy when it comes to working in the heat because I am a South Texas boy. I've lived here all my life, except for six, right. spent six years in New York. But I've lived here all my life. I'm used to the heat, but I can't ask these horses to go past that. Bob Loomis used to have a theory that if you ran a horse out of air, and what he meant was if you worked the horse too hard for too long, you were going to lose that horse's trust and you were going to lose that horse's confidence. And basically you were going to break the horse physically. And so I'm real careful about not breaking the horse physically. So yes, if I need to get up at three o'clock in the morning, if I have a covered arena with lights, which I don't anymore, but if I still did, if I had a covered arena with lights, I'd get up at two or three o'clock in the morning, go work horses until the sun came up and then go take my nap and then go rest in the afternoon. But I'd make sure that the horse's welfare is taken care of first. Love that. Uh, I love how you just change your whole, your whole concept of training for mm -hmm. the horse. You do. And it's just like a business model you change for your customers. So right. that's great. So let, let's much. talk New York. Let's talk New York. <laughs> so the six years you were in New York. <laughs> well, I so, went up so what, what caused you to go up there? Well, I, um, decided like so many young people, I'll tell you an interesting story about that too. So many young people that I wanted to, uh, go to New York and study acting and get some work going into acting because it occurred to me that, well, acting would be great because it's very remunerative and it's very interesting because it's different all the time. That's not really the way it is. <laughs> it's actually very, it's actually very, it's a very bad way to live. It's a very poor way to live because at the time that I was trying to do it, I think that if you look at Actors' Equity and if you looked at SAG and AFTRA, I think only 3% of the people at the time were making an income above $8,000 a year. And even at that time, that was still just not enough money to get by on. It's also, and I really hadn't been prepared for this, it's also you deal with a lot of daily rejection. And it's really, really wearing on you to deal with that much nonstop rejection over time. And I finally decided that, you know, this just really wasn't for me. I could, I could spend my life doing something more fulfilling than going to audition after audition after audition. And don't get me wrong, I worked. I actually did work on uh, soaps and worked in film and worked on stage and went out and did uh, Good Night Nurse, went out and did <laughs> dinner theater. And... Uh, <laughs> I mean, I did it all for a while, but, um, and it was what the, the interesting story I was going to tell you was I did spend a little bit of time out in California training out in California because I had to have a job, but also auditioning out in California at the same time. And you could go in and we used to talk about this, that you could walk into a Vons or a Ralph's, which were the equivalent and they may still be there but they were the equivalent of HEB here, the, the big food chains, the big food store chains. You could walk in and you could ask any checkout clerk, hey, how's your screenplay coming? 
And 85% of the time you'd get an answer, well, it's really doing well, or well, it's in so-and-so's hands, or well, it's out there, or well, they said, save the brass. So <laughs> there was always an answer because everybody is trying to do the same thing. So. Right. Oh my, save the brass, <laughs> just save it. Oh my, uh, yeah. so what was your favorite uh, acting uh, role? Oh, good. Uh, I would probably say one of the most fun shows that we ever did was Lone Star. And so that's a Texas-based play, and it's about a couple of brothers. And uh, that was a fun show to do um, because it's funny. It was a, it was a, it was a, heck of a funny show it was another show called i hate hamlet and uh i hate hamlet is a show that is about a guy who's going to come play hamlet and he happens to rent john barrymore's old apartment and the, the apartment's haunted with the ghost of john barrymore and john barrymore comes to him and tells him all about how to do the role and uh, i got to play john barrymore <laughs> for that and that 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 play was a lot of very fun cool. too. it was a lot of fun very cool very cool so you said you were on a soap opera well, I was on two of them. There was uh, so far I, I had a what I would call jokingly a recurring role in all my children. So whenever they needed a, a cop to come pull somebody over or to come give a ticket or to arrest somebody, they always called me. <laughs> and then there was also another short lived, short lived soap called Loving. And I was a detective on Loving. Wow. Very cool. Very cool. So what's your yeah. favorite? Uh, is it to play a policeman, a cowboy, or was there another role that you really love? <laughs> I've always enjoyed playing a Western, <laughs> a Western role, you know, playing a cowboy or playing a lawman, not just a policeman, but a lawman. And uh, I don't know, well, I it, it, that that's been 40 years ago. So that my recollection of that is, is, is quite distant at this point. So when you ask me what what oh, what do my. I like to play, I haven't I haven't even really thought about it in so long, so it's hard to say. Oh, that's so cool, so cool. So so with Dr. Johnson, y'all y'all just wrote a screen uh, a play, is that correct? Well, it's yeah, we kind of did. It's um, Michael is Michael is is um, you know he's come out to our our competitive trail group and he's given talks and I don't want to, I don't want to call them talks because they're not really talks but he does talk about horses and he does talk about humans and he talks about how to get the two together and so he's been coming to some of our rides and to some of our events and doing that well we had a ride up in Albany back in uh, May I think it was and prior to that well prior to that back in February he said you know he said I'm just not sure I'm really up to coming out and doing another presentation. And I said, well, don't. I said, just come on out, just just hang, just hang with us. And he said, well, I'll think about yeah. that. And so the next week I said, well, you know, just come on out and hang with us. He said, well, he said, that may not be enough. I said, well, we'll invite people to come around and sit around and we'll sit on a picnic table and we'll just talk. He said, well, I'll think about it. So a week after that, it became, well, come on out and we'll do a little question and answer. Well, I'll think about it. And so this went on for a little while until finally he called me up one day and he said, I know, let's do a play. <laughs> and and it. it's, 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 it. it's like the little rascals, you know? And so I said, okay, well, you know, that's a little more structure than I had in mind. I kind of had an idea that what we would do is just, you know, maybe do a little bit of improvisational stuff, just talking like Michael and I always do two or three times a week. We just call and we talk and we'll talk for an hour. 
and we'll talk about horses and we'll talk about people and we'll talk about psychology and we'll talk about all kinds of stuff. And I said, let's just, that, that's kind of what I had in mind. Well, he wanted it to have a little more structure and he wanted it to have music and he wanted it to have this and wanted it to have that. And so I said, okay, well, let's put it together. So we sat down and we came up with a, I won't say it's a script, it was an outline. So we came up with an outline of what we wanted to do. And there's a song that I wanted him to play. And that song is about one of his mentors, one of his roping mentors. And so that song became the centerpiece mm. of this. And I wanted the play to be bookended by one of the characters in his books, which is his, um, ex -rope, his old roping horse, Blue. I wanted Blue, because Blue speaks in the books, I wanted Blue to be the, the intro and I wanted Blue to be the ending. Because I really thought that this should be something about what ties it all together, which is what I said earlier about the love of the horse, the love of the horse's true nature. And so we went and we did it at one of our rides, uh, the ride up in Albany, and it was really well received. And Michael had a good time doing it, and I had a good time doing it. Mary Marzak was in it. Mary Marzak played a role in this too, who I think you had on your show as well. And I sure did. Okay. Lovely person. And so Mary had a role in it. So we got done with it. And Michael and I talked about it about two or three days later. He said, let's take it on the road. <laughs> so we're now looking for a venue because all of these people that are friends of his and friends of mine who didn't get to see it, now they want to see it. And so we're going to try to find a venue to go do it, it and we're going to put it together. So we're, we're supposed to get together this weekend and, and flesh it out a little bit more. So great. So great. I'm glad you're just listening. Y'all are going to do that for sure. I know people are going to love they will. it. I know it. Yeah, we're going to find out where it is, and then we'll put posting on our our social media sites as well. That'll be great. And uh, making sure everybody can find it. Yeah, that'll be great. Yeah. So, so what's next for you, Greg? Well, we what's next for you as we're getting close to the close? Here? We have, uh, <clears throat> during the summer, this competitive trail group takes a, hi a hiatus because it's just too hot to ride. And so we've had two months off mm -hmm. and we'll have the month of August, most of the month of August off. We have some fun events that we do in the month of August, but starting up again in September, we will have two rides a month all the way through November. And I am, as I said, the director of judging, and I am also senior judge for a couple of those rides. So I have to come up with the obstacles and with the judging criteria for uh, the rides that I'm senior judge for. And so we've got that coming up. I do have a number of larger format three-day clinics coming up in the fall and uh, just going to keep on plugging away. I'm working on that website that's under construction right now, and we'll get that done and up and running, which I've been promising to do for almost 20 years, but I'm finally going to get it done. And uh, we'll, 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 get, we'll get that going. But that's that, and I'm kind of dipping my toe in an area that is – a little bit different. I'd like to get it started here in Texas. You know, I've always shown ranch horse, stock horse, reigning, um, Western pleasure, all of those kinds mm -hmm. of things. But something that I've never done is dressage. I'm not really interested in working in classical dressage, uh, but there is an event that's primarily on the left coast, on the west coast out there in Oregon, Washington, and California called Cowboy Dressage. And it's run by a guy who's from Israel named mm -hmm. Eitan Bethelachmi. And 
I want to get involved in that because it's not dressage like regular dressage to the letters, but it works in a court that you have set up and there are obstacles within the court and maneuvers that have to be executed within that court. And it's a very precise way of trying to address the Western horse. And that to me, if you go back to you know my view of horsemanship progression, first it has to be correct, then it needs to be precise, then it needs to be fluid. And so any movement that you do or any maneuver that you do needs to progress through those phases. And so I think that this is an opportunity, if we can bring it to Texas, this is an opportunity to work that into the kind of work that we do either on the trail or for stock horse or for other events as well. So that's kind of where I'm, that's kind of where I'm, my head is going. Absolutely. I love it, man. That's a cool, mm. cool deal. Cowboy dressage. And you're so busy. I love that. And uh, I can't wait to see about the play you and Dr. Johnson put together and, and uh, we'll promote that and put that out. And uh, we just appreciate you being on the Cowboy Entrepreneur Well, I appreciate show. you, Scott. I thank you for the call to, uh, to come and do this. And I thank you for uh, promoting Michael. I think that, you know, his stuff is, it just gets my heart. It really gets to my heart. But so. Absolutely. 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 Well, thank you so very much. And thank you to everybody who's watched or listened to the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show. Thanks, Scott. Thank you to all the great sponsors of the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show. If you or your business is interested in being a sponsor of the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show, please call our office at 830-992-1786 or visit our website, cowboyentrepreneur.com. Hi, I'm Scott Knutson, host of the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show, heard on KCAA Fridays, 3 p.m. Pacific. I'd like to talk to you about something I'm very passionate about. Those that know me know I love my coffee. In the morning, afternoon, and even late in the evening, I enjoy a good cup of coffee almost any time of the day. Now, my team at the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show has been working for several months on creating and introducing our own brand of coffee. We wanted to make sure that we got it just right. We don't want to put our name on anything unless we're 100% certain that it's the best product available, and we've finally done it. We have created a wonderful line of coffees, 13 fantastic flavors offered in whole bean, ground, and K-cups, any way you like to brew your coffee. Now, each of our coffees carries our brand, the very same brand that we put on our horses, our trailers, and our chaps. So you know that this is a quality product. And we only use 100% Arabica beans, the very best beans available. Just listen to some of these wonderful blends and flavors. Jamaican Me Crazy, Honduran San Marcos, Chocolate Cherry Amaretto, Breakfast Blend, and my very favorite, Haley's Blend. A coffee so good, we named it after my daughter. You can order these coffees today by going online to javacowboy.com. That's javacowboy.com. And if you order today, you can get an extra 10% off your final purchase just by entering the promo code COWBOY on checkout. Remember, that's promo code COWBOY for an extra 10% off. Just go to javacowboy.com to order your coffee today. Hello, I'm Scott Knutson, host of the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show. I want to tell you about a product I've tried and I love and I feel the Cowboy Entrepreneur audience will as well. It's Rebellious Infusions. Rebellious Infusions, there are little packets of flavor. And you know, it gets hot in South Texas, over 100 degrees every day. And I like my water, but it's water. So I use these infusions, put them in my water. It makes it cold. It's great flavor, zero sugar, zero calories. It's pure energy infusions. Rebellious 
infusions. Go to drinkrebellious.com or on all social media platforms. Drink Rebellious. KCAA. What does the Weatherbug app tell you? My commute will be a doozy today. Pack my allergy meds. Lightning. Pick up a pizza, not a tennis racket. With more free map layers than any other weather app, Weatherbug tells you more of what you need to know to prepare you for the unpredictable. Discover why over 10 million users choose Weatherbug. Maybe it's a commute to the couch day. Download the Weatherbug app today for free. It's time to make the Tri-City Center in Redlands a regular part of your weekly shopping experience. Tri-City is home to a wide assortment of quality businesses, including the all-new Ocean Aquatics. Check out their variety of exotic tropical fish along with fish food, accessories, and tanks of all shapes and sizes. 